We've all made mistakes in our lives. Some people have paid consequences in different ways or actions in different ways. But everyone's redeemable and deserves to have a fair chance of being successful and having a career. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Kate Lighty. Kate's the founder of Strively. Strively is an organization with the mission to reduce prison recidivism and to create more diverse and inclusive workplaces in the tech sector. And Strively does this by training the formerly incarcerated for careers in tech sales. Now, Kate was first on our show just about a year ago. I'd heard about Strively and was fascinated and impressed with what Kate was doing. So I invited her to come on the show and talk about her program and the people she was helping. But all that was missing from that interview was the ability to talk with one of her graduates, one of the graduates from her Strively program. So today, joining Kate and me is Ryan Hoppy. Ryan's a recent graduate of Strively's program and an SDR at pilot.com. And you'll want to hear his story. So before we get to Ryan and Kate, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we certainly appreciate it. You could also leave us a review and give us your feedback about how we're doing. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it with Kate and Ryan. Kate, Ryan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andy. It's great to be here. Thanks, Andy. Great to have you. So, um, Kate, you know, tell us a little bit about Strively. And I know you've been on the show before, but just for people that didn't hear the previous episode, tell us sort of, you know, mission and maybe how you got started. Yeah, great. Thank you for having us back again. I'm excited to be here. Um, Strively is a... a program that is designed to support people who are coming out of the U.S. prison system for roles in um, careers in tech sales. Okay. And I mean, it sounds like when we talked before, the mission was a little bit broader though, too, is, is you know, creating a more diverse workplace in the tech sector. Absolutely. And we, we do support other people outside of, of that singular mission, people who have been victims of human trafficking, people at risk for homelessness, but the core of our mission is to support people who have experienced prison or are justice impacted. And so how did you get inspired to do this? So my background is working in tech sales, and I, I have for the past 17 years or so. Um, I've had the opportunity to work from startup to IPO, startup to private sale, startup to total failure a bunch of times. And <laughs> I, think we've all, I think we've all done that, yeah. by the way. You haven't lived if you haven't failed in the startup. That's right. And so sometime in 2019, I started to get kind of burnt out. I wasn't finding a lot of joy in my job anymore. And I had a friend um, suggest that I go be of service to someone and see if it helps me find my path and figure out what I wanted to do next. And so I had the opportunity to go into um, Soledad which is here mm-hmm. in California in the Valley. And I volunteered with Hartnell uh, College. It's a state, state prison. It is a state prison. Yep. Right. Yeah. And um, I had the opportunity to volunteer with Hartnell College to teach employment skills. So how to write a resume, how to, you know, introduce yourself in an interview, how to talk about your background. And I immediately saw a room full of talent. I thought, you know, these guys would be great in sales. They would be great in tech sales. And mm-hmm. so, I thought someone should start a nonprofit, not thinking that it would, it would ever be me. You, right? Yeah. And then 2020 came around and I found myself with a lot of time on my hands. And 
I just started building the program. And so we put our first group through in November of 2020. And so that group, and then we'll go through that, and then we'll bring Ryan into the conversation, is so, yeah, tell us just briefly about what that program looks like. Yeah, so it's about a 90-day program. So it's a boot camp. Um, and we're preparing people for what they would need to know in order to do their job as an SDR. So tools, training. We do a lot of mentorship, a lot of workshops, um, you know, day in the life of an SDR, day in the life of a sales manager, those types of things. And then a lot of interview preparation um, and coaching. And then, you know, we support our candidates um, from day one when they start the program, but then all the way through the first year of employment. So we understand that getting the job is only the first step, and then and then we need to continue to support them along their way. Okay. Well, so let's let's bring Ryan into the conversation. Ryan, welcome. Thank yeah, thank you, Andy. Well, so tell us a bit about you and your story. Yeah, so I met Kate, what it's been about a year now. Um, we crossed paths through some mutual connections um, here in the Bay Area. But uh, how I got to be in contact with those connections, I guess I'll, I have to take the story back a few years. Right. Um, I'm so... 2013, uh, which now seems like so long ago, but it was August 2013 to kind of set the stage summertime. And uh, I had been out, you know, I work like I used to live, I've been listening to your podcast and it's kind of a common theme. I, you know, I, I like that there's a lot of talk about sobriety and, and you know, with mm -hmm. tech sales and that. So I was, I was working and like working for the weekend, right? Like just right. work hard during the week, party during the weekend. And like any other weekend, I had just been out having a, a good time and went out Friday night. Like, don't remember getting home, uh, woke up in my bed somehow Saturday, right? And then like just went back out just like it was every weekend was kind of the same thing. Find the next place to, to go have some fun and spent Saturday drinking and I got in my car and ended up driving myself home and the thing about that night is I didn't make it home that night. Um, I woke up in a, a hospital surrounded by ICU doctors and nurses. And so I had no idea how I got there, no memory of an ambulance ride or anything. But from that point, it would be uh, six years almost to the day that I would make it home again. And so, so what happened is I had gone out and, and drank and got in my car and drove myself uh, home and crashed. And as a result, I was sentenced to 10 years in a California correctional facility. So was, well, let's talk about the crash. If you can, was another car there? Other people hurt? What, what happened? Yes. Andy, there, there was another car. Uh, it had four people in it. People were hurt. Um, they were injured and, uh, one person lost their life. Oh, and so okay. I was facing felony, uh, DUI vehicular manslaughter. Um, and so what that, what, what ended up is, is I was sentenced to 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I arrived to jail, I learned immediately that it was sink or swim, right? It was nothing. I didn't know anyone before that had been to jail or prison. So I didn't really have anything to prepare me, right? I'd seen stuff on TV and in movies, but right. the real thing is nothing like, uh, Nothing like that. And and so just take a couple steps back. So were you living in the Bay Area at this time? Sacramento. Sacramento. Okay. Yeah. And how old were you? 28. 28. 
Yeah. And what work were you doing at that time? So I was working for a family company. Uh, the nature of it was a little bit sales, but it was mostly uh, like construction and land development. Right. Um, and that was, I think at the core, you know, like to, to kind of zoom out really unfulfilling for me, right? Like just kind right. of like, and I had struggled with addiction. So, so something from since I was 16 years old, um, I struggled with addiction. It, it's in my family. Right. It's something that I didn't know that I was just repeating a cycle. Um, it's just that I now had uh, consequences that were just greater than anyone before me in my family, right? Like I had actually done something sure. where others had been hurt by my addiction now. Right, right. Um, and so you're in the hospital. Then I guess when you recovered, you went into custody or you're in the in the system at that point. Straight to the city. Yeah. So like handcuffed in the hospital, transported straight from there to a jail cell where we didn't come out. So it's 24 hours in. If you're lucky, you get to, to go take a shower. If once a week you get out to go to like get fresh air, you're very lucky. And so that's how it went for quite some time. Uh, and that, you know, like you, you go to, to jail and then you're sentenced. And that's right. when I was transported to California state prison got there and just kind of like saw quickly that you had to be of value in some way, right? Like everybody chooses their path in there and it moves fast. And if you don't have something that you stand for, you get kind of eaten up. And I, you know, like the things that are of value in there are like money, drugs, and actually education and education, education. And there's a couple of reasons I'll explain that, but yeah, I made 20 cents an hour. Right. I wasn't making enough money to do anything. I could barely buy myself some extra food. 20 cents an hour uh, cleaning toilets in a in the substance use department. So like they they'd administer courses and classes and help mentor uh, men who have addiction, right. history of addiction. And I cleaned the toilets because I, I the way that my time was, I had too much time to do that program. But I wanted to be around it because I just wanted to be in a positive environment. So I, I offered to clean the toilets. I made 20 cents an hour. So and just also for my information, so when you were sentenced to 10 years, was this you knew there was a possibility that, you know, early release based on, you know, certain factors? No, they the way that, that the the sentence was structured was that I would do the most amount of time possible and uh and so as a violent crime, it was I was to serve 85 percent of that 10 years and that there was no option at that time of sentencing to gain any kind of credits in no good time or, or no early release. Got it. Yeah. So you're in prison and you've got these sort of multiple traumatic things to deal with was one is the fact of the accident and the fact people were hurt. And the fact you're in prison, but then also the addiction. Yeah. And that was a huge part of it, right? That was something that I had never addressed before. And it continuously kept tripping me up. Um, and so that was number one to address. Right. Like without that, I just knew that without that, I, I there would be no uh, being of service. There would be no rehabilitation. There would just It would all be for nothing if I couldn't figure that part out. Um, I'd actually asked the judge when, when he sentenced me, he said, any like requests, anything you like to, you know, to ask me before. And I said, I'd like help. 
And like, right. I didn't know it at the time, but in, in a lot of 12 step programs, that's the first step is like admitting that you don't have it figured out, admitting that this thing right. has defeated you and asking for help. And right. I didn't know it at the time that that's what I was doing, but it really did lay the, the foundation. And so I kind of started this pursuit in there of personal development and as being like seeing what was happening in that substance use department, like men were turning their lives around. And I was drawn to that. And I, I started, I got the chance to finally be like a mentor in there. And I fell in love with it. I fell in love mm-hmm. with helping. I fell in love with giving back. Um, and then the fact that it was around something that helped me stay sober was right. amazing. And, but first you had to serve is there was a 12 step program in, in the prison first that you went through? There was uh, the wait yeah. list for that was like six months long. So oftentimes oh. there's only one, you know, each prison's divided into yards and then each yard has like a certain amount of resources. It's kind of a roll of the dice where you land uh, that you get some resources for things like this. Um, so like not all locations are created equal in that. And I, I was lucky enough that we had a, a couple, they, they offered a couple different 12 step programs. Mm-hmm. It's so you then talked about you know, you're doing your mentoring, but you talk about you know the value you had was mm. this was really interesting was education. So explain what you meant by that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, prison is is driven. I mean, there's there's a lot of negative things in there. It's really easy to get caught up, right. get swept away in the the negative. But there's this this small fraction where like people do want education and they want it because they seek it because they know that long-term it's going to help them. But also Mm -hmm. those credits can earn, can get you out sooner. You can get home sooner if you earn an education, right. Or you complete certain classes. So I saw that and, uh, I wasn't going to be, uh, any shot caller anytime soon. Right. Like that wasn't my, my destiny. So I saw, Hey, this, uh, there might be something here. I've been through college. Now I had tried, I'd attempted three times and, and failed horribly, right? Like I went to three different colleges, but I knew the system. Like I knew how to navigate. Right. I got good grades in high school. Like I applied, I, I just knew how to take tests and how to study. Right. And that came in handy as, as certain opportunities came up. Um, one in, one in particular was an entrepreneurship program, pretty well known in the U S um, and it, they came in and offered to bring the program to where I was at. And I, got, I was fortunate enough to facilitate that first group. And I just fell in love with this idea of like entrepreneurship, right? Mm-hmm. And like, in the meantime, I'm telling my story. I'm, I'm sharing the, the consequences of drinking and driving. We would do these seminars and there was this really cool culture around and it was very small and it was uh, very counter to, to how the current flows in there. But it sort of opened up that, like I started becoming infatuated with like entrepreneurship and San Francisco and the Bay Area and what was going on there. And I just, over time, there's a lot of time to think and study and, sure. you know, in there. And, and I, I focused my sights on like, how do I get to the Bay Area? Um, and also, in we, you know, there's something about San Francisco, about the Bay Area that is favorable for people with records. If you're looking for jobs, there's more companies here hiring than a lot of other places. They've kind of laid the groundwork. That are willing to look past the past and look at the person and the potential they bring to the job. Or at least 
be willing to sit down and have a conversation with us. Got it. Which oftentimes people don't get the chance to even make it to that point. Right. Um, yeah. And so I, I, I paroled in and what happens when you parole is you go back to the city or the county where you offended. Mm-hmm. And that was Sacramento for me. And I knew that that was not, I, I just probably wouldn't, you know, people, places, and things are usually triggers uh, for people with addiction. And that was not a place that I wanted to be. So I put together a business pitch for my, or like a pitch for my, uh, my parole officer. I had gotten accepted into San Francisco state from like, while still incarcerated, I applied. Um, they have an amazing program there called project rebound. It's through okay. state universities and they help people with records, you know, formerly incarcerated or justice affected to get educations and to get legitimate educations. And so I was accepted and I, put this, you know, everything that I had done in the last six years on the desk of my pro officer and said, Hey, like I want a chance at success here. And I, I, you know, there's not a lot of programs here in Sacramento, San Francisco is booming. I want to work. And I I had already decided at that time, like I want to get my degree in business and I want to work in tech. Mm -hmm. I want to ride those big buses to, uh, you know, the tech, like I wanted to be part of that. Right. And he happened, you know, he was a really open-minded guy and, and he just so happened to graduate from San Francisco State University. And he was Very like, you cool. know what, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that chance. Got it. So when did you first encounter Strively? So, and then Strively, like when, when you get out, like there's, you know, there's definitely like the immediate things that you have to do and that's all conditional. And that's like checking with parole. And for me, it was be sober and be mm-hmm. in a, a sober living environment. Mm-hmm. And then there's like, and that's like the immediate, right? Like shelter, food, those things. And then right. the other things aren't so readily available. You got to kind of want to find them. And there's, there's these like development programs, there's job training, you know, there's uh, personal development, there's, there's 12 step programs. And I had just built a little network that around sobriety and around, people you know, who had also been justice affected or formerly incarcerated. And through the network, um, I got a phone call one day and I still remember where I was. I was right down the street from where I live. And my friend said, said, Hey, I need you to meet this woman, Kate. Hmm. And I asked the name and I, I wasn't familiar with it. I had never heard her name before. And he said, she's new to, you know, kind of the network and she's building something really awesome. I think you'll be interested. And I was like on the verge of graduating at that point. And she jumped on the phone with me and the rest, you know, kind of was like, I didn't really have a choice. She just told me like, here's what you're going to do. And <laughs> you're going to do this program. And it coincided with what I was after. And right. up until that point, I had not, I had done a couple things that were, were, I guess, similar but nothing that was this direct and nothing that was this practical. Um, and yeah. And like three months, six months after meeting Kate, I'm working in tech. That's fantastic. So tell us about you know, the experience going through the program and the things that you were learning that uh, prepared you for like when you got to the interview phase of things. Yeah. I, the, the big thing that I was challenged with and, and I was incarcerated for six years Mm-hmm. So imagining somebody that's 10, 15, 20, 30 years was the, the technology divide, right. right? So just in six years, the amount of things that had changed was really tough for me. 
And so like just LinkedIn, just like learning how to use LinkedIn, right. learning how to uh, navigate Slack. Like those things were foreign, right? Mm-hmm. So like there was a lot to, to overcome and like to unpack, but the, the program was personal development, tools training, job training, um, partnering with some great people and then mentorship. And like now this community of people that we get to stay connected with. And it was about, I don't know, 90 to a hundred days of intense training. Like you better show up every week, you better mm-hmm. participate. Kate will hunt you down if you don't. And That's true. It, was, it was awesome. It, well, it, it wasn't just like talking the talk, right? Like it really was, if you want this, it's all right here. And before I had even completed the program, Kate said, Hey, and, and a couple of times, like, Hey, there's a job opening here. What do you think? And she would just bring these things. Like there's a job, like she was a direct conduit between us and like the industry. Right. And one of them sounded good. Like one of them really sounded like a legitimate opportunity. And at the time I had a really good job. Um, I was fortunate, um, and I wasn't really looking, but this just seemed like one of those things. And Kate, like, you know, she's a, she's been in it. She's lived it. And we did it. We just like, I took the job interview and, um, I was very open. So like, I, you know, tell, how do people deal with, you know, the fact of your incarceration and so on? Because you know, obviously it's there. Everybody knows. Everybody knows you, you, you can't really get away from it at one point or another. Uh, it's going to get talked about. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't, it's just going to be an awkward uh, gap in your employment that doesn't get explanation. You're probably not going to get hired. Right. Right. I choose to lead with it. So it's not an easy thing to talk about, but I think it is better to control the narrative and to lead in and say like, here's what I've done, right? This mm-hmm. happened because of this, this happened. And here's what I've done since. Right. right. right? And, and I did that first call. So first call I had was like a 30 minute coffee chat with my manager, mm-hmm. my now manager. And mm-hmm. at the end of the call, I thought probably a little, a little bit awkward to lead in like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm Ryan. Nice to meet you. This is what I did. We, we built a connection. We talked, uh, shared what I've been doing and, you know, he shared what, what the company was building towards. And and at the end I took five minutes to address it head on and just said, Hey, look, I, I'm pretty sure you know this by now, but I just want to address it. I want to, to talk this through and let you know, like where, where I've traveled since that choice that I made that night. And did you have other interviews in the process of finding this work that where perhaps the reception was different? Oh yeah. Yeah. During the same time, there was actually a, so there were other, the response isn't always the same. Um, And so I did, yeah, I have had where there just is no return phone call. There is no communication. There is, uh, you know, there are ways for employers to kind of skirt around it. Right. Um, they can offer and then run background checks. And so there's like, it's not a, it's still a very gray area, but yeah, I have had um, a number of companies that just sort of let me uh, drop off. Yeah. The ghost ghosted you basically. Ghosted me basically. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Interesting. 
Well, so tell yeah. us about the work you're doing. And so the role was for SDR. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a company that, I, so culture's big, right? Like I think in, in tech, like we can, there's so many job opportunities. And for me, like culture was a big one, mm-hmm. um, purposeful, like, like something, a company with a mission and, uh, I'm doing like, I just SDR right? five days a week, 10 hours a day. Um, we're doing everything that we learned in Strively. It's all, it's everything that we learned prospecting to passing deals to AEs. And then like all of the, I like it. You, you don't call it hard and soft skills. I was listening to one of your episodes and you yeah. called it something else. It's power like skills. power skills. Right. right. And, and it, those I think were, you know, just not having exposure and not having a, a lot of experience. Those were, were areas of improvement. So it's been a lot of, of adapting on the fly and, and mm-hmm. working hard and it's been fun. Well, so perhaps a question a little bit of left field, but was there, were there skills perhaps that you acquired while you were incarcerated that are helping you now? Yeah, absolutely. And so one of the things like in there is there's, there are strict rules. You abide by these strict rules. There Mm -hmm. is a language to learn. There are like politics to follow. There's a lot of those things translate, right? So a lot right. of the skills that we, that I did to like survive in there actually carry over quite nicely. And then the, the things that I was just interested in myself, like the educational pursuits, those, uh, those really helped me. I think the big thing is the technology divide. Yeah. I think that that's where it gets tough in there. There's, there is no technology or, or not like, you know, not much. And that's where it was hard to kind of fill those gaps in, but definitely I think, I think just adapting to like learning mm-hmm. to adapt, learning to survive. Well, that's what I was going to say is, is I think, I think a big chunk of the SDR role is to survive because it, uh, it certainly is hard work. It is, it is. And, and it's I, in there, you have to be uh, resourceful, right? You have to, mm-hmm. to accept, no, accept, not accept no, but you hear no quite a bit. Right. right? And so like kind of numb to the no and in the SDR role, you know, 99 out of a hundred times, it's going to be a no, but that one is like, let's go. (laughs) Yeah. So if you're looking forward, what do you see for yourself? Yeah, that's a great, that's a, an amazing question. Um, I definitely see service, right? That's the key to all this, right? It's, it's, just being of service, um, helping to, to build this network, right. This, and, and for me, it's in the Bay area mm-hmm. uh, and adding value to that by, by helping other people who want to follow in the same footsteps, um, continuing in sobriety. That's the the foundation. That's sure. the keystone to, to all of this and head on into to tech sales, right. Next is becoming an AE and, Maybe getting to to lead a team. I think ultimately, I would just love to be in a, a leadership role where I get to to run a team every day. I mean, that's the that's the dream. Yeah, oh, very interesting. Um, so, Kate, what's your take on how Ryan's doing? Um, I happen to know Ryan's boss and boss's boss, and I know that Ryan is thriving in his role, which I had no doubt that he that he would. Um, 
He's just such a great example of, of the, the reason that fair chance hiring should exist and should be a regular mm-hmm. practice because, right. you know, we've all made mistakes in our lives. Some, some people have paid consequences in different ways or actions in different ways. Um, but everyone's redeemable and, um, and deserves to have a fair chance at, um, at being successful and having a career. And Brian's a great example of that. Yeah, I agree. Interesting. So, yeah. Well, Ryan, I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your story with us. Um, yeah. Yeah. Kate, obviously, you know, a great bad, bad admiration for what you're doing. Um, for reasons to talk about last time, just, you know, the fact that it's hard for people to get the opportunity and the recidivism rate so high is you're providing a great, a great service. So thank you. Yeah, I think, um, and and also just want to recognize that what Ryan is doing is really difficult. You know, he could go and do his job and probably fly under the radar for a really long time um, and people not know what he's doing. And so I think that it's very brave of him to come on and openly discuss yep. um, his Absolutely. experience. And I really, I, I appreciate you being willing to do that because I know it's not easy. Thank you. Yeah. And if there's, you know, if, Again, if I could be a resource in any in any way, I I know Kate is open. Like she will provide her phone. Like you can call her if you're interested in Strively. Like I'm right. the same. I, I want to put it out there that like especially in sales. So I've got seven years sober at this point, and like it's a big thing. It's a huge thing in tech. Uh, people that struggle with this, and I, I think Absolutely. it's an important thing to recognize. And and um, yeah, I think that's. No, I, you you nailed it. I mean, it's it's there was a survey that came out last year about you know mental well being and sales, and it's things that people struggle with. Um, part of it's you know, as I talk about my podcast, part of it's the way we we conduct the business, but otherwise it's just you know life and people's experiences. So, yeah, if we can help support people that are having struggles, then that's that's fantastic. So, Kate. Tell us a little bit more about Strively. People want to support the mission of Strively. How can they do that the best? Oh, my gosh, yes. Everyone can go to strively.org. Um, um, please open your hearts, open your wallets. Um, you can make a donation. We need people, uh, we need companies to um, to give our candidates an opportunity to interview and earn a position at their company. And then, um, and then really excited because we have our first annual fundraising event coming up. Uh, the Strively Pitch Lounge, and uh, it's a fundraiser to support the Strively Whole Person Program. It's an action-packed event with some of the world's most innovative tech sales and social goods startups pitching to the toughest tech executives and uh, forward-thinking VCs in the game. So we're really excited in the end. The pitchers will either get the meeting of their dreams or they'll get a hard pass. So we're, we're really excited, so please come and register for our event at um, strively.org. And then, Andy, we're excited to have you as a, as a celebrity judge on the VIP. Yeah, well, I'm excited judge to participate. List. Yeah. Yeah, looking forward much. to thank it. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Of course. Well, again, thank you both, Ryan. Pleasure to meet you. And uh, good luck in what you're doing. Kate, we'll be in touch. Thank you for having me on again. All right. Thank you, thank Andy. You. Thanks, Andy. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I am so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank today's guests, Kate Lighty and Ryan Hoppy, for sharing their stories and insights with us today. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help with that. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.